Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. In a nod to lockdown and being comfortable around the home, we are talking about Lululemon Athletica. Known for their yoga pants, Lululemon is an exciting athletic apparel company that is competing with big players like Nike to win the fitness market. Albert and I break down what's happening behind the fashion trends, how Lululemon is using technology to create better products, creating community with their sweat collective and beating out their competition with an intentionally higher priced premium product. Pop on your tights, listen and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan, and as always, joining me from Lockdown, Sydney, is Albert. Albert, how are you going? Dan, I'm going really good. I just finished drinking my carrot juice. I think I was telling you before that, you know, when I, when I start the day drinking a juice, I feel so much better. So, you know, got my carrot juice, bit of ginger, feeling good. How are you? Uh, I have not been on the um, the juice detox, uh, so I'm not feeling as good as I'm sure you are. I just have my oats and banana every day for breakfast, pretty plain, um, but otherwise doing all right. I mean, we can't really get out. It's starting to wear on me a little bit, but there's lots of people everywhere going through the exact same thing, so... Uh, chin up and we'll keep soldiering on. I think it's, it's worth calling out that it was your birthday this week. Happy birthday, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know if it'll be my most memorable birthday, having it in <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> uh, but it is what it is. Happy birthday to me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this week, we're talking about the pitch for Lululemon. As with every week, we'll start off with a summary of the business. We'll then discuss what's driving its revenue, trends in the industry, and competitors. We'll finish the episode with our overall verdict on the company. I'm really actually excited to talk about this company, Albert. Um, I think it's a company you've told me about a few times in the past, and I've sort of dismissed it a little bit. I mean, I obviously know Lululemon. It's a sort of athletic apparel for women and men. Their stores in Sydney, uh, friends and all that wear Lululemon. But I didn't really understand like how big it was as a business, as a trend. So for those of you that don't know, Lululemon Athletica designs, distributes and markets athletic apparel and accessories for women, men and girls. They offer pants, shorts, tops, jackets for leisure and athletic activities, particularly yoga and running. They also sell, you know, fitness accessories, bags, yoga mats, that sort of thing. They've got over 500 owned stores in 17 countries, really, really big on e-commerce. Been around for a while, founded in 1998 from Vancouver, Canada. It's a bit of an overview, Albert. Anything you wanted to add to that? No, it's a a great overview, Dan. And, uh, you know, I've been very bullish on Lululemon for... A number of years now. I love the brand. Um, you know, I kind of just add to that is, you know, they've got this vision to be the brand that ignites a community of people through what they call the sweat life. So, you know, and, and, and anything <laughs> to do with, you know, athletic pursuits or other kind of sweaty pursuits that they say, you know, tops, jackets, shirts, pants designed for a healthier lifestyle. 
including, you know, yoga, running, training. You know, a lot, a lot of people in my climbing gym wear little lemon. You know, they offer fitness related accessories. Obviously started as a yoga brand, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but, you know, have started to move into menswear and kind of men's lifestyle, which includes like, you know, work pants, yoga pants, etc. So it's a super exciting brand. Um, and we'll talk about this, you know, kind of the playbook for how to run a retail business in the future. Yeah, and then just to tie off the summary with some numbers, um, financial year 2020, they run on Canadian time. So their financial year actually makes sense. It goes from, you know, like January 1 to December 31st. So their financial year 2020, they had about $4 billion in revenue projected for financial year 2021 now, which we're halfway through. They're expecting $5.6 billion in revenue. So that's like, you know, almost like an 80% increase. So they're doing very, very well. For comparison, Nike, probably the market leader, has about $37 billion in revenue. So Lululemon, if you think about it, is about a sixth of the size, seventh of the size of, of a Nike. The, the key difference though is their operating margins are great. They're actually higher than, than Nike's. They've consistently been around um, the sort of, 17 to 20% operating margin, which is very, very healthy. And as we'll get into, it means as they grow, presumably the margins either stay the same or get a little bit better, which gives them a little bit better upside than a Nike um, potentially. So Albert, with that said, maybe we'll, we'll get into the story, which is that Lululemon started off selling a pair of yoga pants in 1998. Uh, they were a mix of nylon and lycra, which had this really nice stretch and softness for all of that activity you'd be doing on, on the yoga mat. I don't know if it's if they're just lucky or if they were part of the trend, but obviously they caught on to something where people liked feeling more comfortable in their outfits, liked wearing something a little bit more, I don't know what you'd call it, um, cool looking for their workouts. And so this is just sort of culminated in an entire category shift where yoga pants are being worn around the office they're being worn on on uni campuses they're being worn by people who aren't doing any physical activity whatsoever and interestingly enough it's actually caused some incumbents like levi jeans to add stretch and more comfy materials to their products because they're they're getting sort of wiped out otherwise yeah this is uh this is really interesting because in the last kind of 20 years or so there's been a real big shift in like athletic wear or athleisure wear like normally what you'd wear to the gym would be just like an old t-shirt like normally what i wear to the gym would be like you know an, an old shirt that i don't necessarily care about and that's like traditionally what most people would wear to the gym but you know the people who generally go to the gym tend to be quite healthier want to be healthier they do care about appearances and, and so as part of caring about your appearance is what you do wear and when you wear old clothing you've experienced a lot of different things because that clothing is not fit for purpose. Like it can shrink in the watch, it can break, it stretches, you you lose color. It's not that comfortable. Like all these things that you expect generally from your normal everyday clothing, you didn't get in your athleisure wear. And arguably this is where you want, you know, that those characteristics to be present. Like if you're going to wear a shirt to the gym, you want to make sure it doesn't break or stretch. You know, if you wear a shirt to the gym, you you want it to be comfortable if you're going to be doing some sort of workout or running, you know, if you're in tights and you've got to run, 
like a marathon or half marathon, even 5K, you want to be really comfortable. But no one had even thought about what the consumer wants to do in their clothing and how to gear clothing up to solve for that until Lululemon, which is, you know, which is really interesting. And so what I love about Lululemon when you kind of strip it back is like, yeah, they make leggings and yeah, they make tights and yoga wear and yoga mats, but it's so fit for purpose. It's, it's, it's different from clothing in that clothing is like a fashion statement about what you wear and the brands and the material. But what Little Lemon is, it, it's made clothing that is comfortable, that people want to wear all the time, that's easy, it's dry, it looks good. Like they've, they've done it all. Yeah, I really want to focus on the materials behind the product because I think you'd be doing Lululemon as service if you said it's just about the look. Like they they were a bit lucky, they managed to capture a look which everyone wanted and it's sort of like a fashion trend because as we mentioned, they've been around since 1998. Most trends don't just last 20 years. Like they're doing very well if the trend's lasting that long. It's no longer a trend. Um there's, there's so much thought that goes behind the making of these materials, not just at Lululemon, but all of these companies. Like when they started, they had um, a proprietary fabric they called Luon, which was a mix between that um, those, those two different materials, nylon and lycra. Um, since then, they've really built out because they got feedback where they found out that customers were using their Luon uh, leggings for activities that they had never expected them to do, like high-intensity training, which would wear out the fabric a lot quicker. And obviously, as a brand, what you're hoping for is you're hoping for a product which is going to last 50, 100 cycles through the wash and not have any tears, rips, whatever. The, the color stays the same, and it's still fit for purpose for the activity they're using. So now they're creating specific fabrics for runners, for dancers, for people just sitting around at home doing absolutely nothing. So as an example, they've got Luon, which was their original fabric, which has undergone some you know, updates to be better. They've got Luxstream, which is a moisture-wicking four-way stretch fabric. They've got Nulux, which is a compression fabric meant for sweatier workouts. And they've got something called Silver Sil- Silverescence, uh, which is like a stink conquering technology. So the silver actually in the fabric, which stops bacteria from reproducing and prevents, you know, sweat smells. Like a t-shirt made out of that material is US $68, like 70 bucks. So <laughs> they're not cheap, but you can see how they're starting to design fabrics for particular purposes and for particular consumers. Yeah, and that's played out really well. You know, Dan, you talked about how their margins are, you know, pretty high, the higher than Nike's. I think I'd also want to call out like over a couple of year, in the last couple of years, say in the last three or four years, Lululemon's outpaced Nike in terms of revenue growth. And even if you strip it all the way back for another, like, you know, the back to the last 15 years or so, Lululemon's also out- outstripped Amazon in terms of revenue growth, where Lululemon's grown about 34% in the past 15 years, where Amazon's grown by 13%. And so, you know, all these things that we just spoke about, having these, you know, amazing fabrics, the fact that it addresses all these issues is a classic case of, you know, product market fit. Like consumers love Lululemon. And sorry, when I say consumers, they, they call them guests. So guests love <laughs> Lululemon. The customers of Lululemon are referred to as guests. Um, and, and they really show that they've not only innovated their product, but also their brand 
Because, Dan, something I really want to latch onto is you just spoke about the different guests of Little Women. You went from people who are just sitting at home to people who are, you know, doing yoga and running marathons. and We just had the Olympics, you know, athletes. Yeah. Exactly. But this is a really interesting point because Lululemon as a brand is different to different people. You know, if you're someone who is a yoga instructor, Lululemon is probably your go-to, uh, you know, yoga brand. You know, you'd buy tights, you'd buy, you know, a yoga top, you'd buy a yoga mat. You know, those yoga mats aren't cheap, they're like $130. The other thing is if you're an office worker, people have Lululemon office pants. Like I was in a group chat asking people for pants recommendations for comfortable pants. And something someone was said was buy the Lululemon pants because they're really comfortable and you can wear them to work. Like, Dan, how, how do people reconcile the fact that this brand means different things to different people? Like, how, do, how does it continue to be so successful when people internalize the brand in different ways? I think that's fine because you, you can always go higher level. Like, what's the underlying consistent theme behind what all these different consumer segments are thinking about the brand? And I think what it comes down to is is something like high quality. You know, I, I think consumers expect whether they're doing it for wearing it at the house or wearing it uh, in the office or wearing it on the track, they're expecting a really quality product. Compared, I, I think it's fair to say that that Nike, Adidas, some of the other bigger brands, they definitely have higher end athletic wear, but they also cater towards the lower end as well which does dilute their brand in terms of perceptions of quality, et cetera. And we were talking just before this about Lululemon's sort of unique approach to pricing. Do you want to get into that, Albert? Because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Lululemon is an you know, incredibly premium product. Like if you look at you know, the classic way of competing in the market, there's really kind of two strategies. The first is you compete on price. And so you offer something that's you know, not too different from your competitors, but the reason why you can sell more than them is because you offer it at a lower price. The second probably where a lot of consumers or our brands want to play is on differentiation. You want to offer a product that is incredibly differentiated. And so because it's differentiated, you know, better quality, has different features, addresses different pain points, you can charge a lot more than that. And Lululemon plays completely in differentiation. Like if you look at the classic strategy playbook, Lululemon should be a case study in how to, how to sell and market a differentiated product. Dan, you talked about, you know, the different fabrics that they use. Like Lululemon charges, you know, $100 for a pair of tights. It charges, you know, $90 for a pair of men's shorts. Well, the, the pants I was talking about, it's like $150. You, you, you can buy three or four pairs of pants, tops, tights, yoga mats, etc., for the same price. But what gives Lululemon a ticket to play is, They've got incredible quality when it comes to their clothing. But not only that, they also put the research and effort into making sure that their clothing doesn't stretch, it doesn't break. You know, it doesn't do all these things that other brands do. And because of that, they've got this pricing power that they can command that Nike and Adidas can't command in the same way. So I really wanted to stick on this point because there's been some interesting research last year about the, the full price of women's leggings across various brands. And Lululemon sits almost exclusively in its own category. So about 67% of its leggings range 
were in the 80 to 100 US dollars for price. And then all the rest of them were above that. So essentially, 98, 99.8% of their leggings retail at above $80 US. Compare that to something like Adidas, where it's about 70% of their leggings are below the 80% price point. Same with The Gap, same with Puma, same with Fabletics. Like all these other brands are targeting a much lower price point, which means in terms of competition, Lululemon is really standing on its own. And this is across the board. Like if you think of huge sales days, if you're thinking Black Friday, most of its competitors are discounting between 30 to 40% plus, whilst Lululemon haven't gone past like 20%. So that they're very, very conscious. Like it's, it's clearly part of their strategy that price is what drives their premium brand reputation and they're not going to compromise on that. So and that leads to like a really interesting thing because there's different differentiators as you've gone over, Albert, because one of the big ones is they, they started as a women's focused brand. Like we're talking a little bit about how they got men's shorts, men's pants, really small part of their product offering, which they're expanding out. So they've got a power of three growth plan to to get to 2023, which is to double their men's business, double their e-commerce business, quadruple their international business. So that shows that they've got a focus on their men's business, but that highlights just how focused and differentiated they are because they've been a women's brand essentially which some of their competitors haven't been. Like Nike and Adidas in the last couple of years have been really trying to focus in on the women's segment because it's actually the highest growing um, segment for athletic wear is the women's products, is the products for girls doing athletics and those sorts of things. So Lululemon was already there. They've already built their brand in that segment and they're at a premium uh, as well, premium sort of reputation. So they've done really well in building i guess like a moat around their product differentiation their product reputation yeah and we could probably talk about competitors but there's so much dan that you just you know talked about that we could double click on i think the way i look at it is lululemon is is historically uh an athletic leisure leisure brand i can't speak an athleisure brand targeted at women moving into menswear nike adidas athletic leisure wear brand predominantly targeted at men now moving into women's wear. And do I think that Nike and Adidas are going to win that battle? Like maybe when it comes to commoditized, um, you know, sportswear and things like that. But I think as people become more conscious about, you know, where they put their money, you know, and how they spend, you know, especially when it comes to clothing, I think Lululemon does win out. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like over the last five years, Lululemon has consistently maintained its margins in a more competitive environment, showing that people do want to buy a little lemon clothing. And because even if it's high price, people are willing to pay that premium for the differentiated product that little lemon has over Nike. There, there is a caveat here because little lemon has not been without its, its faults, its mistakes. So several years ago, I think it was their, their co-founder, or one of their senior executives at the time essentially said, in a, in a nationally broadcast media thing, that their leggings weren't for everyone, essentially replying to a question about how larger size women 
can't wear their leggings. Um, and his, his basically response was, well, our, our product's not for everyone. Again, suggesting that sort of like premium nature of things, but definitely with a hard edge of just like, you know, you have to be thin to wear our product. Did not go over well. This guy is no longer part of like the operations of the company. He's obviously still got investment invested in it and he's um, there for the growth of the company. But that I think was like a sharp turning point for them to understand, you know, they, they've got this segment, which is the, the women's segment, but that doesn't mean they've actually got all women in that segment. They have to keep innovating, keep doing more to cater towards the needs of everyone. And they did this uh, essentially two years ago or last year actually, where they, they started selling women's clothes as large as size 20. So before that, they didn't have sizing to, to fit the needs of, of certain women, different shapes, different sizes. And now that's something they're actively moving into. It, it goes to show that like, you know, you can be a market leader, but if if you've got a couple of, you know, misconceived ideas of who your consumer is, you can really turn people offside really, really quickly. Which, which is so strange given like Little Lemon's kind of, you know, historical success in developing a product that's fit to consumer needs or, or guest needs. Like you think you'd be on the ground with your ear listening to the ever-changing landscape of customers and who wants your product and then innovating for that as opposed to like trying to isolate a group of consumers. I can see exactly what went wrong though. Like I could see that they had this absolute uh, grasp on a market of yoga instructors, super beautiful fit people using their product that they thought that's who we are, that's our brand. And like they just internalized it to the extent that this guy didn't see anything wrong with saying nationally that, oh, no, our leggings are just for, for thin people essentially. And that's just like a huge culture problem, unconscious bias problem that that person has, which infected the organization. But it goes to show like when we cut up um, who our consumer is, and we do this even for ourselves when we look at who listens to our podcast, Albert, like it, it's like with data, like different people can come to different conclusions on it. And unless you're really focused on points, uh, you can sometimes miss the mark a little bit. So, I mean, that was that was a small stumble. I, I don't think it's really affected Lululemon going forward. Is there anything else on this sort of idea of brand pricing, you know, premium that you wanted to get into, Albert? Yeah, I mean, there's probably a few more things that really outline what makes Lululemon different. You know, I think at the very start of this, I mentioned that Lululemon kind of have this ideal retail playbook that if you were to start a retail business, you'd take everything that Lululemon does now and do it. And so that is have a really differentiated and premium product. Like I said, it's like a classic case of that. You know, they're the price leader. They've got premium sportswear in an industry that hasn't traditionally been about premiumization. You know, they've got this amazing shopping experience that we haven't yet talked about, Dan. You know, they've got their traditional Lululemon stores. They've also got, you know, different seasonal stores where they test new products. They've got co-location stores, like the one down in um, the middle of the CBD where you've got menswear and women's wear. And then you've got like experimental stores where they, they try different things. It's more like a gym and community center. They've got like meditation spaces. They've got yoga rooms. I think this kind of is where I want to hit is the community that's built around Lululemon. And a lot of retailers don't think about community as a part of their competitive advantage or their moat. But for Lululemon, it's absolutely part of their competitive advantage. Like the store is not just a store, but it's a place where Lululemon can host 
different events. You can try different products. You can meet yoga instructors. You, you can do yoga. I think part of this community that Little Lemon's built for themselves comes into their branding. Dan, you can be a Lululemon ambassador. You can be like a Lululemon influencer. You just click apply on their website. Lululemon do very little athletic sponsorships, kind of on a global scale. They've started to push a bit more into it, but they've previously driven what I call like a bottom-up approach to branding in that they just get key people within their stores to become Lululemon ambassadors, to host events, to run yoga classes, to try new products and, and meet people who come to the stores. And they do it just in, in exchange for some tights or, you know, a chance to new, try new products. Whereas, you know, Adidas and Nike, they're paying LeBron James billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, they're paying these athletes millions of dollars to do marketing in the hopes that they can get people to buy things. It's like a top-down versus bottom-up approach. And what Lululemon's done with their bottom-up approach is build a community around their stores that you don't have at Nike and you don't have at Adidas. And I think that's the strength of the Lululemon brand and their competitive advantage is that they've almost got like a network effect is as you buy a Lululemon, you get absorbed into the sweat life, you know, yoga, (laughs) different products, how you start to integrate Lululemon pants into your workwear, the Lululemon mat and the $50 water bottle. Like all, all these things feed into it. And because you're part of the community, you then get to try new products. You get to meet people who are also Lululemon people. And and it just goes from there. It's it's such a great brand in terms of what they do from a strategy perspective. Yeah, I, I hadn't really cottoned on to that difference between a Nike and a, and a Lululemon because you're absolutely right that there are brand ambassadors for Lululemon, but you don't have in the same way like the Nike-sponsored athletes, the Adidas-sponsored athletes who are just like, everywhere over all their promotions branded shoes like you've got the the jordans you've got the lebrons like really associating a brand uh or a product of nikes with a particular athlete but you don't have that with lululemon so it is a difference between top down or sorry top up top down or bottom up um sort of advertising what i'm curious of is that are they going to move in that direction because I don't think you can look at what Nike is doing in terms of a top-down approach and say that they're wrong. I mean, they've been wildly successful. So it's, it's, it's curious to me which is going to win out in the long run. Do you have a view on that, Albert? Yeah, I, I guess it depends on what winning means. If, if winning means becoming the market yeah. leader, I, I don't think Lululemon will ever overtake Nike. Like Nike is you know, almost 10 times bigger than Lululemon in terms of revenue. I think whether it's in very specific segments of the market that Lululemon is winning when it comes to premium wear. And I think where Lululemon probably will eventually become is, you know, that place that people go to for athleisure. Like if I project out in the next 100 years, do I think Nike and Lululemon are still going to be competing? Yeah, probably. But I think Lululemon over that period would probably have at least caught up to Nike because it's a lot more deliberate about what it does as a brand. Mm. I mean, this sort of goes to a, another point I found in my research, which is that all of these brands are trying to create uh, brands within the brand, like products within the brand, which um, sort of differentiate them from their competitors. So, you know, I, I mentioned some of the fabrics that Lululemon has before. 
you've got Adidas, some of you might know if you've got some of, of these products around the home, you know, they've got their athletic wear climber light material, you know, climber cool, climber warm. Nike's got the dry fit material. So you can see how like within the brand, they're trying to brand the fabrics they use to create some sort of loyalty there where customers go, I really like Nike's dry fit. And that's like the product I'm going to use. And so it's a way for them to stick with the brand as a whole. I haven't found myself like when I buy athletic wear, I look at the the main brand, the Nike, the Adidas, the Lululemon. I don't really go into that subcategory when I think about what determines my buying habits. Are you the same way, Albert? Uh, I guess yes and no. Um, you know, to me, I probably focus less on like, you know, the the fabric or, or the dry fit versus Nike versus Lululemon. Mm. And now I'm probably being a bit, a bit more conscious about like, if I buy this, will it last a long time or will it stretch mm. or, or, you know, all these things that, um, you know, how um, warm will it be long term and things like that. And I, part of that is because, you know, I've, I've probably got a bit more money than when I was a student. So I can make more conscious decisions about what I do buy and what I don't buy. So, Albert, I want to move from here to now talk about the future of Lululemon. Um, I mentioned their Power of Three growth plan, which is you know doubling their business, doubling their men's business, e-commerce business, and quadrupling their international business. They've also had some major acquisitions. So in 2020, they bought Mirror, which is sort of like a, a digitized, full-body mirror optimized for personal workouts. They bought that company for $500 million, not not cheap. But so there's, there's a few different things here where obviously Lululemon's looking to the future for growth. What grabs your attention? It's actually crazy. They invested in Mirror the year before they bought it at a valuation of 34 mil. And in one year between the time they invested and the time they, they acquired it, went from 34 mil val to a 500 mil val. <laughs> it's actually crazy. But I, I really, really like this acquisition of Mirror. Um, because it positions Lululemon to be the place for the sweat life, and particularly when when it comes to kind of um, digital fitness. You know, there's a few kind of digital fitness brands like Peloton, who who we've started to see really compete in the market, and Peloton's also recently just moved into Australia. But if I think about what Lululemon is trying to be, which is they want to be the place and the community where people go for, you know, the sweat life and sweaty pursuits and and the kind of the next adjacency is that is how you then start to productize what the sweat life is and the digital fitness and the acquisition of mirror falls completely into that and i guess dan for anyone who doesn't know like do you want to give an overview of what mirror actually is yeah so so mirror and peloton essentially it's subscription-based home workout equipment so it's like a it's disruption in the home treadmill space. Think of it like that. So for mirror specifically, you get this. It, it just looks like a full body mirror. It does look pretty sweet. Um, and then it, it essentially works um, as a mirror. It shows you when you when you work out, but then also like a TV because it'll pop up little parts of the display for you to sort of understand how you should be positioning yourself. Um, it'll have your instructor on the screen partly as well. If you've got a class, you could see some of the class members too. And so it's like, it's probably like a super premium Zoom home workout. Like you've got your screen so you can see yourself. 
you've got the the screen so you can see everyone else at the same time. Like uh, have a quick YouTube or Google of it if you, if you want. It looks really futuristic. It looks really sweet. Uh, but for such a product, it's going to set you back $1,500. And that's just as I understand it. That's just for the hardware. That's for the mirror itself. After that, you still pay a subscription fee for the classes and everything else. So it is high, high end. But this this goes to a point which we've talked about, Albert, which I think is super interesting. When we talk about Apple, when we talk about Google, some of the big tech players, one of the things we've sort of hit on as to who's going to win in the future, it's really hard not to think Apple or Google is going to win because they own the hardware, which all of these softwares and things are on. And Lululemon's play into this mirror space is the same thing. It's like they're actually going to own the hardware on which you do your exercise, which you, you form your exercise habits, which is such like, if you think of marketing, you want to pitch to exactly your audience. A mirror like where people do home workouts is exactly the audience that Lululemon want to target. So like I can see it really driving synergies. Mm. And, you know, to be honest, I don't think Lululemon's ever been explicit about this part of their business, but what underpins everything Lululemon does is extreme control. They control everything within their business. I mean, their own manufacturing, but they've got a very careful amount of fabric vendors and manufacturing vendors. You know, you can only buy Lululemon products from Lululemon stores or online. And them owning the hardware that enables people to do digital home workouts is completely within their kind of MO in terms of extreme control over most or every part of their business. What, you know, is really interesting, Dan, I just, I didn't think about it until you mentioned Apple. Like maybe Apple were kind of in the competitive tender process to acquire Mirror, which probably why, it may be why it was because, which may have driven the price of the acquisition to half a bill. But I think if I project forward into the future as to what Lululemon could be, like, I absolutely think it might be like a digital wellness business centered around Mirror as a piece of hardware. And you've got the community associated with that, you know, the Mirror Little Lemon Ambassadors. You've got the clothing that you could wear while using your workouts. You could have more workout equipment. Like, Little Lemon is positioned to be, you know, this incredible competitor in how people work out at home, which, you know, because of COVID and things like that, people have started to do that. And, people are probably going to continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think how I'd sum it up is that the mirror is the first look into how Lululemon is really going to tread a different path from a Nike and an Adidas. And I think how I'd summarize that is to say Nike and Adidas are going to sell to, you know, 6 billion people. They're going to sell to the entire world and they're going to monetize a fraction of that. Lululemon is going to sell to 1 billion people, so a subset of the world, but they're going to really monetize different aspects of their life. So not just the clothing, but also the budget for exercise, their, their budget for you know, all these wellness activities. And so I expect that their, what's the, what, what's the term, Albert, but essentially the revenue per customer is going to be much higher than an Adidas and a Nike, and that's going to be the difference in business models. Um, and, it, and it works in their favor because they're a premium brand too. So I think that's sort of the direction they're heading. 
Before we finish it up, I, I did want to touch on a big part of their business model, which is direct-to-consumer, which also differentiates themselves from Nike and Adidas. So direct-to-consumer is essentially like online sales. You can buy Lululemon direct on their website, and that accounts for 52% of their all their sales. So they've got 500-odd stores throughout the world, but still 50% of their sales are just through online, through their website, which is a great competitive advantage because it's lower cost to do things these way. And it also has shielded them from the effects of COVID. So like revenue in stores decreased last year 34%, but that was bolstered by a 101% increase in their e-commerce sales. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to double click on that quickly, Albert, before we finish. Yeah, I'll just add to that like Nike's there's I mean, two types of retail businesses, wholesale and then direct-to-consumers, D2C. And so wholesale is when, as a brand, you manufacture clothing and then you sell them to other companies, like you'd sell them to Rebel Sport or you sell them to Walmart, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, and then they would then on-sell to their customers. That's traditionally the retail model. Nike is on the back foot because it's, you know, predominantly historical retail player. So it's only now building out its direct-to-consumer brand but wholesale still remains a huge part of its business, whereas Lululemon doesn't have a wholesale business. They, they only sell direct-to-consumer. And you know, for those reasons, Dan, I think Lululemon starts kind of on a winning foot because it's direct-to-consumer. It commands higher margins. You know, It doesn't have to reduce margins based on volume to sell to wholesalers. You know, it's, it's got a really good grasp on who its end customer is, the guests, so it can optimize for that. I think the only other thing we didn't talk about, which is probably the flip side to direct-to-consumer, which is you know their retail business, their retail business is still so, so strong in comparison to you know how physical retail is changing across the world. Like year on year, they've managed to optimize sales per square foot. And part of why I really like looking at retail businesses is it's really easy to boil the performance of their business into like key metrics like sales per square foot, you know, sales per square meter, or inventory turnover. It's like how often you're turning over inventory. They're turning inventory over 3.3 times each year. So it's like how much inventory are you turning over in terms of total cost? Uh, And where Lululemon's at is it runs a really premium and well-run retail business in an industry that's like arguably dying. And so... You know, if I've got final thoughts, it'd be Lululemon is the playbook to run a retail business. That's kind of its like first stage of its life cycle. If you want to run a retail business, I'd say Lululemon is the playbook to follow. It's now entering this new phase, Dan, with the acquisition of Mira and trying to become more of a productized business. I don't know how successful it will be in comparison to the giants who could just buy that capability. But because it has the moat, the brand the community, the reputation, you know, the channels, I think Lululemon will be really successful. That's the that's your final verdict? Absolutely. Lululemon, give me free things. <laughs> if we could have Fresh Cap as brand ambassadors for Lululemon, I, I would sell out pretty hard for that. Um, I could use some home tights for all this time I'm spending in the house now. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly similar to you, Albert. I, I really think that Lululemon's got a great business moving forward. Maybe where I'm a little bit more focused is on the third part of their growth plan, which is quadrupling their international business. I was 
almost shocked actually to to see the lack of presence in international markets. So they out of their 500 odd stores, 300 are in the United States, 62 are in Canada, 55 in China, 31 in Australia, 16 in the UK, and the rest are pretty negligible. So that's like five markets essentially. And in terms of outside the Western world, it's it's China and that's about it. So there is a huge runway. Like if you think of how Nike and Adidas have penetrated Asian markets particularly, like, okay, some of them are knockoffs, but like you're walking down the street in one of these countries as I have, and it's ubiquitous. Like everyone's got these jerseys. And do I think the runway then for Lululemon to start penetrating these markets, taking market share, I think it's huge. I, I think there's almost no world in which they're not somewhat successful. And because they've got high margins and a premium brand, like I, I think it's going to do really, really well for them. So I, to me, that's almost a no-brainer. So for that reason, you know, I'm, I'm pretty in on, on Lululemon. Yeah, Dan, once we've um, finished the, the pod and this episode's published, I might just flick it to all the Lululemon people I know and ask them to send it up to our HQ and see what falls out of it. All right, Albert, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. If you're not already, we know that some of you aren't. Please follow us on Apple iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Every follow and rating really helps us out. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.